come bounce the check. And know it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull reparations to do. So just give me what you owe. No, we won't renounce the debt. America bounce the check. And know it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull reparations to do. So just give me what you owe. Capitalists are the enemy, but we get treated like the villain. When prison is homicide, cause they making a killing. And war generates more loot, so that's why Bush is going off. Half cocked like Joey Butterfuco. Don't care about jobs, it seems. So I gotta use my pen to get money like an ATM machine. The economy's at its lowest by far. So I'm a black man, gotta work hard like male porno stars. To my soldiers at A Cobra, hold your head, it's not over. Chip Crow ain't dead, he just got a little older, more colder. So we gotta be less passive, more bolder. So the hell can wag the road. Conversation reparations, conversation reparations, conversation reparations. This show is brought to you by INCOBRA, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. We do the show twice a month to bring you information about what's going on in the reparations movement, and particularly with a particular lens on what is the work of INCOBRA in the reparations movement. Uh, my name is Jamoke Isetayo. I serve as the host of the show, and again, we're excited to bring you this next edition. Uh, we will be speaking with Brother Cam Howard, the National Male Co-Chair of INCOBRA. Brother Cam Howard is a brilliant leader in the reparations movement and one of the few people that have dedicated his life to the reparations movement. And in his insight, he has brought the idea of reparations and forces. He's brought the idea of epigenetics and transgenerational epigenetics and other things that he's brought into the conversation of reparations and into the movement for reparations. And so today, as we sit in the middle of this very challenging, challenging time called coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, we're going to have a discussion around the COVID-19 and coronavirus and how it relates to reparations, how it relates to the reparations movement. And we're going to do that through having this conversation with Brother Cam Howard. How are you doing, Brother Cam? Hey, I'm good, Brother Jim. Okay, it's great to be back on the show, brother. All right, all right. So we, we've, we've been having conversations in Cobra. Uh, many of us remember how uh, during the Durban Conference, right after the Durban Conference, how the actually before the Durban Conference, reparation movement was building, not only the Durban Conference, but you had Randall Robertson's book and other things that, that were out in that time, 2000, 2001, and the reparation movement was building. And then we had 9-11 and we got um, the momentum got got altered or, or thrown off course as a result of that. And even though we know that this is a very, very serious time that's impacting people, we also know that this is not a time for us to deter and have for any minute for the reparations movement to continue to move forward, to continue to move strongly, as we have been have had a great momentum in 2019, and we plan on continuing that momentum in 2020 in spite of and because of coronavirus. So why don't you um, share with us how you have made the link between the reparations movement and COVID-19 and how we're going to use this conversation to advance the reparations movement as opposed to it sidetracking the reparations movement? For sure, for sure, brother. But before I do that, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, raise up, you know, the new ancestors who have uh, transitioned as because of this COVID crisis, you know, we've lost, you know, some named warriors and some unnamed warriors, warriors, you know, sisters, brothers, 
know, some of our elder elder uh, community members who uh, they say had pre-existing illnesses. And you know, the elders has always been the bedrock of our community, the elders and the youth as African people. And, you know, uh, this is a virus that is particularly targeting our elders. And so, you know, um, we want to be mindful of that. And, but I just want to lift up these new ancestors who have uh, transitioned as because of COVID. Yes, I say. Um, brother, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote the piece on COVID, that's in the Chicago Crusader, you know, the listeners want to go to chicagocrusader.com and look in, uh, tap, click on commentary, and they can find the article. But the main reason I wrote the article, well, secondarily, but it was in the forefront of my mind, was that, as you mentioned, in 2001, after the 9-11, you know, crisis, where we were talking about there was a national discussion of reparations. Some would say more so than it is now, but it's in a different way now, which makes it unique. But the conversation of reparations was a national conversation. And almost every mainstream media uh, organ, they were doing some, saying something. There was some type of debate. It was a heated debate, but there was a national debate on reparations. And as soon as the uh, 9-11 Trade Center attack happened, the nation switched off reparations immediately and switched on to terrorism. And even our own people left the reparations conversation and became more focused on terrorism and American security, et cetera, et cetera. And we understand that that was, you know, was needed if this nation was under attack and we were being exposed to that attack. Certainly we were supposed to have our mind on it, but we were not supposed to lose sight of the injuries and, and crimes that were committed against us and, and, and the need of repair uh, that was necessary in our community to have a decent standard of life here, uh, as long as we was here, you know, and, and many of us are actually trying to get back to the motherland, but certainly we were not supposed to lose sight of the issue of repair. And it took us about 14 years, brother, as you know, to get this, this conversation back into mainstream, and it was due large part to Ta-Nehisi Coast article in 2014 uh, making a case for reparations as a uh, – brother who was raised in the Pan-African Revolutionary Black Nationalist home. His father was a publisher, and still is a publisher of Black Classic Press. So he grew up reading around the books of the greatest African thinkers of, of our time, past and present. Uh, and so he had the uh, inroad in into mainstream media as a writer for the Atlantic Magazine. And so what he wrote, the whole nation had to listen to. And it was you know, his piece linking the convict leasing system to the current status, homeownership status, wealth status of black people in this country that reignited the reparations movement. And so when the COVID crisis hit, I was saying to Encobra leadership and to NARC, the National African American Reparations Commission's leadership, which uh, is the organ that is working in China with Encobra is doing great things in the movement, that we cannot allow COVID to do what 9-11 did to the reparations movement. And so um, we had to find a way, especially among our people, to talk about reparations without seeming like we were uncaring about what was going on in the nation. We had to find some type of, 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 of message, some type of narrative to use that would say, you know, we're, we understand what we're facing as a people, 
as a country. However, none of that can trump the needs of our people to be repaired. And so as I was thinking about that, I had been talking about this issue of transgenerational epigenetics for maybe 10 years, 15 years, as soon as I was introduced to it by uh, a, a brother by the name of Dr. Kenneth Nave here in Chicago, who was writing a, a piece on, he called it Competent Proof. Uh, and he was looking at this whole notion of transgenerational epigenetics, and I'll talk about that. And the reason he was called his book Competent Proof is because in 2005, when the uh, judge in the federal court here in Chicago threw out our reparations lawsuit, he said one of his reasons, he said we didn't have competent proof, that we were injured. And so his book was entitled Competent Proof to prove that, in fact, we are still injured. And so when I um, began to, to, to think in terms of COVID and this whole notion of competent proof and proving our injury, it was easy to make the connection because everywhere we turned, we were hearing that the existing illnesses that black people have was the cause of the um, disproportionate number of deaths in the black community. In Detroit, 80% of the infected are black. In Chicago, 74% of the deaths are black. In St. Louis, 100% of the deaths are black. In Milwaukee, 81% of the deaths are black. In the entire state of Louisiana, which has a 32% black population, 70% of those who, are, who have died to this disease are black. And from the president to Dr. Fauci to Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and all these legislators, state governors, state, local, and federal, have all stated that it was the existing illnesses that has black people succumbing to this virus more than any other people. And so understanding that, uh, and they were saying that the existing illness as a result of racial discrimination, result of uh, poor access to health, poor food choices, um, macro and micro racial aggression, uh, the wealth gap, uh, poverty, you know, social issues. But I was saying, no, it goes deeper than all that, that we understand the science of transgenerational epigenetics is that we are, are predisposed to have these pre-existing illnesses as a result. Okay, Scott, can you hear me? Yes, he's there but his audio just cut out. Okay, he just dropped off the board. Okay. Um, you continue, I'll try to get him back on. All right. So, so yeah, Brother Cam was getting ready to explain transgenerational epigenetics, as I understand it. It is the science that has looked at how when um, an individual uh, or a group of individuals have been traumatized or have gone through a great uh, uh, experience, a great negative experience, that it actually can damage their DNA, can actually damage their genes. And what happens then is we that, have that back. those damaged genes... Mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt. We have them back. Go okay. ahead, Joe. Okay. You can continue. You're, you're explaining okay. it, brother. Those, those damaged genes get passed down from one generation to the next generation. I often use the example of when, you know, if someone uh, witnesses a lynching, for example, and has traumatized your great-great-grandfather and, 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 or great-great-grandmother, and, the, the, and as a result of that, their, that trauma, again, impacts their genes and damages their genes, and then it gets passed down to their children, their, their children down to you. And so your, your genes actually have been impacted and, and by the trauma that you didn't even witness 
that your great great grandparents witnessed. And so I'll let you pick it up from there, Ken. So that's exactly right. And so when you look at, you know, the high rates of hypertension in our community, and it's not just black people in America, it's black people throughout the diaspora who's the same uh, situation exists in in the Caribbean, in South America, Central America, where black people exist, is that all of our, as you were saying, all of our genetics uh, code has been damaged from the trauma that we witnessed during enslavement, post-enslavement Jim Crow, and so we've all had these pre-existing uh, state that leads to the development of these illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, hypertension, as I stated, um, heart disease, asthma, kidney disease, lung disease, et cetera. And so um, that state that we exist in, that, that health state that we exist in, allows for the COVID virus to come in and wreak deadly havoc in our community. So we wanted to make sure that our people know that, yes, a pre-existing illness, but it's also the pre-existing state that our, that we were born uh, with uh, that has led to the high number of deaths in our community. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I guess then the next link, you know, people understand or, you know, following the COVID that, you know, people, like you said earlier, um, tend people tend to die, uh, people who tend to already have, these pre-existing health um, issues. And so that's the, the the connection there in terms of, you know, we being predisposed to having health challenges. And then, okay. and then when we meet with, and when that meets with COVID-19, then it's a more likely chance of, of death or, uh, in, in, the, in those situations as, as the statistics that you quoted earlier. That's exactly right. right. So I try to and, sum and it up. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. No, go ahead. So I try to sum it up in one sentence, and that is, you know, we don't wear the scars of enslavement on our back, but we wear the scars of enslavement on our gene code. Mm. And so, you know, we're too, you know, we haven't escaped the injury uh, of enslavement from my ancestors. We we walk around with that injury every day and we bequeath it to our progeny. And we could continue to do so until there's resources directed at how we can neutralize, minimize, or um, reverse um, the conditions that in which uh, our genes have been altered. Yeah, and I know that one of the things um, with, with, you know, with reparations, you know, we were wanting to show people that this is a repair process. And I know you put forward some specific ideas around how do we address it. So now that we, we have the narrative uh, that shows uh, the linkage between what has happened to us as a people and continues to happen to us as a people, and that makes the argument, continues to make the argument for reparations. So then we need to, like, I guess also we have a conversation in terms of what are some of the solutions or what I know you put forward a solution or one solution anyway that can address this. So, yeah, um, before I talk about that, you know, there was a uh, webinar by the uh, AB side, the uh, Association of Black Psychologists, uh, mm-hmm. and I suggested everyone who's listening go to Association of Black Psychologists website and look on the web webinar that they had um, this past week, and uh, there were about ten, you know, psychologists, scholars from an African-centered viewpoint 
well, often a myriad number of, uh, of uh, uh, interventions that we can do uh, that's in alignment with our culture and our spiritual understanding, our spiritual background. And these type of wow. interventions, you're not going to hear at all uh, from mainstream media. So, mm-hmm. you know, I suggest we do that. But the, what I suggested was that we have uh, in H.R. 40, uh, we wrote um, the whole notion of full repair, that whatever the commission outcomes uh, of the commission should be in alignment with the international doctrine of full repair that has five components. And one of those components is rehabilitation. How do you rehabilitate the people from the high mind and spirit damage that was caused as a result of the crimes that were committed against them? And so here we see COVID is attacking the heart, mind, and spirit damage that was done to us that is in, embedded in our genetic code at this particular time. And so part of H.R. 40, part of every reparations commission, should be a rehabilitation component. And what we are suggesting, because we have a reparations commission um, ordinance that we're attempting to push in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, we were suggesting that there be a center for researching transgenerational epigenetic injury in African people. We've also attempted to, and, and what that would do was help us assemble all of the, all of the research that's out, out there right now. There's tons of research out there, although this is new science, there's tons of research out there on how it happens, how to, we can begin to minimize, neutralize, or reverse the, the conditions. And we need to assemble that research and then begin to prescribe to the black community what those uh, remedies, if you will, are. And so we're not getting that from, again, from the leadership. Even you know, in Chicago, we have a black mayor. They haven't talked about, you know, they talked about the disproportionate death, but they haven't talked about a targeted response to that disproportionate death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The creation of a reparations uh, or transgenerational re- uh, research center, injury research center, would be one that comes up with specific targeted remedy for our people, not only for COVID, but again, COVID only attacks those who are ill, primarily those who are ill. Even our young people have, you know, higher rates of illness, asthma, you know, which is a lung disease, asthma and juvenile diabetes, et cetera, you know, at, at alarming rates. And so you see, you know, it's not just affecting black elders, but uh, some of our youth as well. But that whole pre-existing illness, the ill state of our health, this research center would begin to talk. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm saying that research center would begin to target, you know, those type of uh, – uh, uh, of the, the health, the current health situation that we exist in, and again, COVID is just is the latest um, attack on our health. But our health has been attacked from, you know, again from birth because of the pre-existing state of our genetic code. And so, you know, we need a and and, and in the, on the federal level, we're trying to talk with Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, who's pushed. H.R. 40, we're trying to talk with Senator Cory Booker's people who pushed uh, S-1083, which is a companion bill. We're trying to talk to Congresswoman Sheila, uh, uh, Congress, Congresswoman uh, Bass. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Karen Bass. Karen Bass. Karen Bass. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her first name. 
and see if we can, you know, when they were, you know, first talking about redirecting some of these the CARE Act money toward um, McCary Medical College and Howard University Medical College that has the Human Genome Center. And uh, McCary Medical College has a center for disproportionate health uh, that particularly looks at the disproportionate health in, in America that affects black people. So we have these institutional mechanisms from which we can begin to address the illness, this, this, this inherited illness, but we're not targeting money specifically toward these institutions to do that work. So and COBRA has initiated these conversations with the people I just named. Yeah, I was um, I was uh, and just curious in terms of some of the research that's been done around epigenetics in general. I, I know I've seen some research around Civil War descendants, um, mm -hmm. and then you, I know in your article you mentioned Jewish people from the Holocaust. Has there any has has much work done been done or any work been done on on African descendants in terms of epigenetics? There's this book. Uh, and if I look at my phone, I'll find the name of it. But uh, it, it um, was written in 1996, and I went on Amazon to try to find it. Uh, I don't remember where it was, I was, it was mentioned to me. But it looked at the transgenerational transmission of trauma. So you have transgenerational transmission of trauma, you have transgenerational epigenetic injury, or inheritance, as they call it, uh, TGI and TTT. Transmission or transmission of trauma is a field of study older than transgenerational epigenetic uh, inheritance that looks at how trauma is passed down generationally. And so there's been study in this book, they look at maybe a third of the book is devoted to Jews. They look at Japanese who were interned in World War II prison camps. They look at Vietnam POWs. Um, uh, American POWs. They look at Vietnam soldiers. They look at um, people in Yugoslavia. They look at about 10 other places around the world, even in, on the continent of Africa, and they also look at blacks here in America. They have a chapter that's, they have actually three chapters in this book. This book has about 1,000 pages, but it has about three chapters in this book devoted to blacks in America on the transgenerational transmission of trauma. And as you may recall, Brother Jamoke, Dr. George DeVue O'Leary's book, uh, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, deals specifically with transgenerational transmission of trauma. So we do see in the transgenerational epigenetic injury, we do see some scholarship developing. And uh, a brother, Dr. Hiyan in Chicago, sent me an article, recent article. Uh, they did a study and, and, um, on transgenerational epigenetic injury. And it was showing that, and it was how many looked at young black boys from the I don't know what the age started from, but it said that from the age of nine we can see the genetic impact on telomeres. Telomeres is a portion of the gene, and stress causes your telomere to shrink. And people who have undergone tremendous amount of stress have shorter telomeres. And so what this study said was that. If you have black boys living in a disadvantaged, disadvantaged social environment, we've seen that from the age of nine, shorten telomeres. If you look at black boys in a advantaged 
social environment, we see them with longer telomeres. That's the only facts that they presented in this article. They made some judgments, which I'm totally in disagreement with, but there is study being done. And so we, we need study from an African-centered perspective because even with that study, we can have different conclusions, which I draw my own conclusions. But they do show that social environment, because we don't know in this study whether the youngest person was nine years old or if it was a year old or whatever, we can say he was born with that shortened telomere, but we don't know all the specifics of the study. But we do know that moving our people into a more advantaged state can have a, a, a reversing effect on some of the genetic damage. In addition to having more social advantage, we know that uh, diet has, can play a key component, nutrition can play a key component, exercise, sleep, uh, meditation, those things can play a key component. So there are some, some again, some remedies out there, uh, but we need more and more research specifically for uh, our people so we know exactly how to, uh, again, minimize, neutralize, or reverse this uh, genetic damage. Uh, from 400 years of terror in this country. Yes, yes. You know, yeah, the food piece is a very um, in important one as well. There's a whole, probably a whole science around there. That I believe is called like um, ethnobotany, where you, yeah. where it's been determined how different foods from that you were naturally eating before you have been shifted to another location, and how that um, impacts your health. And your and your well-being. I know um, Dr. Sabi, uh, Dr. Ando, Dr. Leila Africa, some of our, our recent um, great um, doc, spirit um, herbalists and and and, yeah. and doctors um, often talk about that. I know Dr. Sabi talked about that a lot around the yeah. importance of eating foods um, that people of African descent should be eating foods, you know, that are right. tropical and that come from. In the, the food that we we traditionally ate, and how important that was, and other I'm sure that some and others spoke on that as well. I was I was exactly. curious though. What we let's um let's go ahead and take our, our half uh, thirty minute break. We take a break at this time, and we'll come back on the other side and continue the conversation. Conversation <laughs> reparations. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital Black Radio. New Black Media for the New Millennium. Okay. Uh, this is Brother Jamoke Vitao. We're with uh, your host with Encobra Conversation Reparations. And we're having a conversation today with our national male co-chair of Encobra, Brother Cam Howard. We've been speaking about COVID-19 and reparations, specifically looking at um, transgenerational epigenetics and, and how that um, contributes to the, the statistics and the disproportionate amount of people of African descent um, being more severely impacted by this pandemic. And we say that the pandemic of, of white criminal supremacy and racism has been waging on us for 500 years. So it's not a, a new pandemic for us. We've been in a pandemic state for over 500 years. So let's, um, I was thinking that 
maybe we should also share, since we got you on the line, that, you know, I always say Chicago kind of leads the way, uh, has, in, in my opinion, in terms of the reparations movement. And perhaps you could share about some of the work that's going on there. And, well, you know, first of all, you want to conclude or say some closing remarks about the reparations of COVID-19, and then we can maybe shift to looking at the fact that there's a reparations bill for the city of, uh, being that's working its way through the city of Chicago, um, which is unique, as well as a statewide bill in Illinois. There's a few other states in the Northeast region, um, New York and Pennsylvania and New Jersey, that have some statewide bill, bills that are in their legislatures as well. But um, why don't we go ahead and, um, you know, kind of we could shift we could we want to continue on COVID-19 and then maybe uh, we could shift to some of the stuff that's going on in Chicago and Illinois. Sure so um, the last thing on the COVID piece on really transgenerational epigenetics when you ended you were talking about how uh, many of our naturalists have talked about you know incorporating African staples into our diet. There's been a mm-hmm. lot of research in the Caribbean more so than in America and it's also well-established scientific fact that if you remove the people from um, their homeland, either uh, through war or through famine or, you know, some other type of event, and their diet is totally changed, that also can have an effect on the genetics, and that too is passed down. So we not mm-hmm. only suffer genetic damage from the trauma that we've experienced, but we also suffer genetic damage from the diet. Because for 246 years, our primary diet was cornmeal and fat. That was what they fed our people primarily. And then we augmented with you know, herbs and going into the, into, the, into the forest and getting herbs and you know trying to plant our own gardens, try to augment it. But the majority of what, we, what was given to us was cornmeal and fat, and so we know there's genetic damage. You can see it in the body shapes of our people as we go older. You can see how fat is distributed in certain places that is not distributed in other people, and so that's part of of the damage as well. Uh, So, you know, again, we wear the scars of enslavement in our DNA on a daily basis. We're born with it. Um, As far as Chicago, yeah, we're doing, you know, we're just – you know, we have a large um, chapter, um, got about 90 people in the chapters, you know, probably about 45 are current in their dues, and probably about 20 are actually active. But, you know, uh, we have a large chapter, and we try to, you know, do do work. Um, we've historically done, uh, which is, you introduced the show uh, with the term reparation enforcers, and that's where we try to enforce our human rights to be repaired. Uh, we did actions against Norfolk Southern Railroad, which led to some victory. Uh, we forced them to, uh, uh, as they expanded their rail yard, 83 acres in the city of Chicago in a black neighborhood, we forced them to uh, use a higher uh, rated emission equipment, diesel emission equipment, because we knew that our brothers and sisters in that area had the highest rates of asthma and lung disease in the entire city, and that this railroad expansion rail yard expansion would just exacerbate that. So we went after a considerable amount of dollars 
as well as you know some environmental issues. They they succumbed to the environmental issues, but they uh, did move on the on the dollars we were looking for. We went up against Norfolk Southern. I mean, um, Rush University Medical College, and that's where we. Mm -hmm. That was about six years ago, and that's where we first began to push for a transgeneration epigenetic research center in Chicago mm -hmm. because this university college had a history of robbing African graves during the period of Jim Crow segregation so they could attract medical students to their schools. And so knowing that history, we uh, went up against them with a reparation enforcement action. Uh, we, were we were not able to sustain that action, but um, you know it, it brought into the city this whole notion of a research center being necessary. And so now we're pushing on the, on the city level uh, and the state level um, reparations commission. There was a, there's a uh, businessman, wealthy businessman here in the city of Chicago who uh, made his money as a McDonald's operator, sold it. He had about five McDonald's operations. He sold those and he started a medical uh, supply company that um, primarily in, uh, that primarily uh, brings in imports, uh, masks and gloves. You know, COVID crisis. His brother had this business for about 15 years, and then the COVID crisis is. You know, of course, he's doing well, but this city has not even bought one mask or one glove from his brother, uh, and that's because yeah. his push for reparations. He's financed. You know, I work in reparations for the last six months, especially bringing the two the aldermen together and the black um, state legislators together to put forth these bills. And so um, we're fortunate. His name is Dr. Willie Wilson, by the way. So we're fortunate to have his uh, philanthropy as we move forward. Um, but, you know, it's an uphill struggle. The Chicago bill is in the Health and Human Relations Commission, Committee. We were supposed to have a vote on that committee the day that the city went on lockdown. And so we they canceled the committee meeting. Uh, it went on lockdown because of COVID. So we were expecting to have a successful vote, and then it would have moved to the entire city council. We've been working. Uh, there's 50, city, 50 councilmen in the city of Chicago, 20 are black. We have about three white um, councilmen who are in favor six or seven Hispanics say they're in favor. We only need 25, 26 out of the 50. We got 19 of the black who have signed on. There's one who hasn't. Uh, we've been working to, you know, behind the scenes, trying to make sure we lined up our votes. Uh, and then uh, there was a bill, a similar bill introduced in the state legislature by State Representative Will Davis. So, you know, the COVID crisis has put a, a halt in our work um, and so now we have to focus more on on educating our people during, you know, this quarantine and getting them fired up for, you know, what we can do now and, you know, what we have to do as soon as this quarantine is lifted. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I know I kind of said let's switch over to what's going on in Chicago. I didn't want to ask you something going back to COVID. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Which is, you had mentioned about the, uh, I was trying to look it up while we were talking, but you had mentioned about the National Association of Black Psychologists uh, uh, webinar and how they um, offer some interventions. Do you remember any of those that you could share? Or 
I just you know, I'll take them notes, brother, but you know, so much things going through my mind. I know there was some focus around uh the ancestors. Um mm-hmm. you know, teaching our children. It's the time to, you know, commune with the ancestors, it's the time to, you know, teach our, you know, uh go to our elders, have them talk about their and their their uh, ancestors who they remember, mm-hmm. who we may not have known. To, you know, it's a time to, you know, really get back to who we are as an African people. And that was a major thread through the, you know, all 10, 11 speakers is that we have to get back to being an African people. And they suggested many methods in which we can do that, in which we have, you know, uh, one of the things they stated or pointed out that was really impactful to me um, was that, they stated, you know, we've been through something like this before. This is not the first time. It's, you know, it's COVID. But, you know, we mm-hmm. went through these type of tragedies, you know, of this country before. And, you know, we did ha- had some uh, African protocols that we used to, uh, to, to get through it. And we need, you know, again, to just get back to African selves. And they uh, suggested some ways in which we can do that. Awesome. Well, that's good. I mean, I mean thank you for sharing that. And, and in terms of you, you were talking about the, the the hospital, and I was thinking that maybe we could talk about that in a little bit more detail because you, you, I know you said they robbed the graveyards, but I don't know if people really know what yeah. what that really means and why they did that and what that was all about, you know. And then I know there was some follow up that you all had with that as well. So yeah, you know, the whole medical establishment in this country was built on the abuse of African bodies. Um, when we were, you know, came through the Middle Passage, the entire medical establishment in this country is built off the abuse of African bodies. There's a book called The Medical Apartheid by Sister Harriet Washington mm-hmm. into this history. The whole field of gynecology was uh, developed by this criminal psychopath, Dr. Marion Sims, who's credited for mm-hmm. uh, gynecology. He studied on, you know, African women. He said African mm-hmm. women didn't feel no pain. He had operation after operation after operation on these women, you know, and their uh, uh, reproductive organs without pain relievers, without any type of pain uh, killers. Uh, and mm-hmm. he created instruments that are used that are used today to examine women in the gynecological gynecological field. And so, you know, uh, Harvard University was founded as a theological institution. But they went into uh, a medicine. They were uh, they bought what were called uh, brothers and sisters who had who were dying of the bloody flux as they exited the, the ships. You know, during the ships, it was a very diseased state for our people, and a lot of people died of disease. And when they made it here, a lot of people were dying of disease, and they wouldn't make it. And they had what was called the bloody flux, which is a bloody form of diarrhea. And so the um, enslavers, these traders, so-called traders, would plug our brothers and sisters' anuses up and then sell them for $15 a piece to Harvard Medical College, and and they advertised that you can come to Harvard and learn on live cadavers. Now, a cadaver is someone who's dead. How can you have a live cadaver? But that's what they advertised. Isn't that something? And so that's how Harvard University became the major university in this country. Um, and all of your early medical institutions in some way abused black bodies. And so in Chicago, Rush University Medical College, which 
by the way, issue the first medical degree to any black person in this country. That's what they told us when we went after them. And they tried to give us this history of them being benevolent to black people, but they robbed African graves in order to experiment on them uh, and to attract medical All of it was to attract medical students. Uh, if you had, like, lie, not lie, but if you had physical bodies to experiment right. on, then, you know, you, you had, you know, a, a, a draw. You know, you had, you know, a, a you had a market advantage, if you will, using today's terms. And so that's what they were doing to try to get a market advantage of attracting doctors, doctoral students into in, their universities was by exploiting black bodies. Yes, yes. Thank you for um, elaborating on that for us. And, um, so where where are we now? Where where do we go from here? What is what's the what's the game plan? So the game plan is to uh, make sure that our people know at this particular time that reparations is still something, and more so should be argued on because of uh, in the COVID crisis because of the genetic damage that has us uh, predisposed to these illnesses that this this virus runs rapid in our community. The more people who know about transgenerational epigenetics, the more we, we would not let this situation die, the reparations movement die during the COVID crisis. But if we're not aware of it, then, you know, everybody's just focused on, you know, shelter in place, you know, social distancing, wear your gloves, wear your mask, you know, this type of stuff, but they're not focused on how do we remedy our people from the pre-existing illnesses that is going to exist, that exist now and it's going to exist into perpetuity unless we win some resources to target toward the repair of our, of our health and our communities. And that's what reparations is all about. We've got to be more about reparations now than we've ever been before and not less. So that's really the game plan. You know, that, moving HR 40, uh, there is a, a generally when a bill is introduced, it doesn't need 100 co-sponsors. Some bills get out of their committee without 100 co-sponsors. Uh, but if it gets 100 co-sponsors, it automatically gets a vote in the committee. H.R. 40 now has 125. I think there's two more that haven't been added on. Who are, who are on. So it might be 127 co-sponsors. So we can get a vote in the Judiciary Committee right now. And we have votes in the Judiciary to get Committee. So we have the number of votes right now to get, we have a number of co-sponsors right now to get a vote in the Judiciary Committee. Um, the um, Judiciary Committee is, is, ran, is, is chaired by Democrat Gerald Nadler, who's been a longtime proponent of HR 40. So we know he'll have a he'll have a vote once Sheila Jackson Lee calls for the vote. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee says she doesn't want to call for the vote right now. She knows she can get out of judiciary and it can get to the House floor for debate, but she wants to win on the floor. And she believes if we have 150 co-sponsors going on the floor, we can get the other 68 because you need 218 a simple majority to have it passed. There's enough Democrats, Democrats control the House, there's enough Democrats to get it passed mm -hmm. in the House if we have enough co-sponsors going into the House for the floor vote. And so our efforts, and COBRA's efforts, you know, has been to get these additional co-sponsors. A lot of people, because of a lot of congresspersons, because of the COVID crisis, the offices are not open. You know, they have, you know, their phone messages. We're telling people, call. If you don't, can't, 
argue the issue of transgeneration epigenetics, argue the issue of the disproportionate amount of deaths of black people in um, America as a result of COVID, which means targeted resources should go to our community, targeted resources are reparations. And so call them and say, you know, we need you to co-sponsor HR 40. If your congressperson is not co-sponsored, then that's your fault and your, the people in your district. And so somebody in your district has to stand up and say, I'm going to organize 10 people, and we're going to call our congressmen every, you know, th three times a week, every week until they co-sponsor. And that's the, that's the challenge that we have. There are a lot of Democrats. There are a lot of Republicans who have large amounts, 30 40% of black people in their district, who also should be, be, be called, and, and, you know, especially in the South and some of the Southern states. But certainly, if you live in a district with a Democratic congressperson and they're not signed on, that's your fault. Get them, you know, get to work, you know, get to work. Uh, and COBRA has what we call uh, HR 40 IMAP, ICON map, or congressional map, interactive mm -hmm. congressional map. On our website, you can go to encobraonline.org, click on the map, click on your state. On the map, it'll be enlarged. You'll see the districts, either a blue, dot, a blue box, a red box, and blue is for a Democrat, red is for Republican. Click on the box of, of your congressperson. It immediately goes to their website. You scroll down to the bottom of their website. It gives you their phone number. So we made it very easy for you to find out who your congressperson is and to uh, locate their office number. Go on that map and call your congressperson. Again, if your congressperson is not signed on, it's because you have not demanded that they signed on. And we know that it has to be an organized effort, So you need to get 10 people in your organ, in your network, along with you, call in three times a week. All right. Well, we, we have been, I know we've been, um, you've been kind of teasing me about getting on Lucy McBath, and we actually had a, a Atlanta chapter meeting yesterday. We, we've been talking about Lucy McBath since last summer. And uh, actually, but one of our leaders of the Atlanta chapter in Cobra has followed up with Lucy McBath since our meeting, and so we 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 still so we're working on it. <laughs> I know she's a, a critical person because she's on the um, she sits on the Judiciary Committee, one of the few African Americans that have not um, signed on yet, right? That's right. So there are 55, 56 CBC members, the most of them has ever been. And right now we have about 50 of the 55 that are on. There are five CBC members who have not signed on. Lucy McBath is one. Mm -hmm. uh, Aubrey and uh, another brother out of Texas uh, here in Illinois, uh, about 100 miles outside of Chicago, Lauren Underwood. And then uh, I think there's a brother in New York who's not signed on. Oh, no, uh, Kansas City, Cleaver, was not signed on. So, uh, mm -hmm. If you're listening and you're in Kansas City, West Chicago, Atlanta, uh, she's not in Atlanta, is it? Listen, well, yeah, she is uh, metropolitan Atlanta. Mm -hmm. okay. I and, mean, John uh, Lewis is, is the primary congressperson for, you know, ma main part of Atlanta, but she's, she's close. I mean, she's in the metropolitan area of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And in the Houston area. You got two in Houston, and Sheila Jackson lives in Houston, so there's no reason why some of uh, the people in Sheila Jackson Lee's district should also be uh, be uh, hollering at those uh, two in uh, Houston as well, other two in Houston. 
Mm-hmm. So you know, we 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 um, we've never been at this position before with HR 40. It's the first time we've had a Senate companion bill. And in Cobra, when uh, Cory Booker first introduced uh, S1083, uh, we went out to try to get as many co-sponsors as we could the first month. And we were able to get about 13. I think seven of them were running for president at the time. So right. we said, are you going to run for president? You ain't signing on HR 40. You better sign on HR 40. So Klobuchar and Bernie and uh, Warren and you know, some of the other ones. Yeah, so they immediately signed on. But we haven't did much work on the Senate side because we're still right. focusing on the House. And so, but again, if you got a Democratic senator, you know, in Chicago, we have two Democratic senators. The first month, we got them both signed on. You know, uh, mm-hmm. went to D.C., went in their offices, met with their key people. Didn't make, you don't have to meet with the senator. If you can get to Washington, you have to meet with the senator or the congressperson. Meet with their key people. If you're from their district, mm-hmm. they got to listen to you, and they got to give you an audience. Um, so we went, and, and when we came back, we had to make a few calls. The first week, Durbin, you know, one of the senators in Illinois signed on. And then the second week, you know, the second Illinois senator signed on. So we know, you know, with this method that we utilize, and everybody, you know, can, can utilize it, you know. And some are not going to sign on because that's their political, you know, they're beholden to certain people. But with the right pressure, you know, we can get the numbers we need. And then once it gets to the floor, you know, they're going to have to vote. Many of them are going to have to vote according to party lines at that particular point. And that's what Sheila mm-hmm. Jackson Lee ranking on. You get enough of the party going into the vote, then the rest right. are going to have to vote according to party lines. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we need to get, you know, the, that, that other, you know, 22, 23, 24 House mm-hmm. uh, representatives who are not signed on. on. And there's about 70 or 80, 100 uh, who have not signed on. So the numbers, there's about 100 Democrats who have not signed on. So to get the 23, mm-hmm. you know, those numbers are out there for us to get. I have a question. I know at one point, Cobra had a strategy around Brother Jim, after okay. the Congressional Black Caucus. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, before you move on, I have a quick question. We only have a few mm-hmm. minutes uh, remaining, but you think about, uh, again, tying it back to the uh, central theme uh, when you started the program, COVID-19 and and uh, African-Americans and reparations, um, you know, you're moving a lot of financial bills right now. And I, I appreciate what uh, Brother Cam was saying about it's on us if we have um, a representative that's not signed on to H.R. 40, you know, and the other people in our district not organizing and doing everything that he talked about um, that they did. Um, but now it seems like it would be the perfect time these bills got to be passed. And I'm putting this on the HR 40 leadership, if there is such a thing in the black political Mm -hmm. caucus or, or the black congressional uh, caucus. Um, It seems to me that uh, even if it gets struck down or struck out, you know, from the bill, at least there was a conversation about it. You know what I'm saying? But all these financial bills, they talking about now bailing out small businesses after they bailed out the corporations. And now they talking about possibly a second round 
uh, another stimulus, COVID-19 stimulus, as they calling it, you know, sending out the $1,200 checks. So all of that is getting done through legislation. And I, if I, if I, uh, understand correctly how the process works, there's nothing stopping anybody from attaching HR 40, uh, to it. That's exactly right. And so that's why we're trying to have this conversation with the CBC leadership and, uh, and uh, Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and Cory Booker, because they're not pushing, you know, targeted resources to our community and not even asking for it. And they are, you know, they are talking, you know, it's disproportionate, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't relate to targeted resources to our community. And so that's really why we want to have this conversation with them. And so we've been knocking on their door for about two weeks now, uh, understanding, a little less than two weeks, understanding, you know, that they're, you know, focused on, you know, getting money to their communities, et cetera. But, you know, we can't allow them to uh, minimize or uh, neglect the reparations argument as well during this crisis. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because I know people have been bringing up to me also how, um, you know, they were able to pull up, come up with $2 trillion in a few weeks' time. You know, $2 right. trillion is, is, is a, it could be a good starting point for, for the reparations movement, right? You know, and they talk about they may even go up to $12, $14 trillion is what, you know, some, some people say. So, um, you know, the, the whole economics of it, you know, is also important as well to, to recognize yeah, that that this is a time when the country is looking at some kind, sometimes there's a lot, there's been a lot of conversation around bold initiatives in terms of, you know, ending canceling student debt, in terms of letting prisoners out of jail, in terms of, you know, um, so many different things, uh, initiatives that are being proposed right now, even the, the uh, basic income, which Wayne, you know, was championing when he was running for office, you know, and, and so right. many different things um, have been, put out on the floor and this is definitely I think definitely is the time when we should put reparations uh reassert reparations in that conversation as well. Most definitely, most definitely. You know, because the money is being is being uh, materialized. It's materializing uh for this particular crisis it can materialize for our community out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh. All right. Well we are coming down to the end of this show. We thank you so much for the Brother Ken Howard and uh, National Mail Co-Chair of Incopra and uh, the work that you do in Chicago and Illinois and nationwide on behalf of Incopra. And so if you want to, if you have some closing remarks, and we're going to bring this show to an end. Well, like I said, you know, uh, we, have to work, we have to do the work and that uh, I just want our people to remember that, again, we, have, we don't wear the slaves, but we don't wear the scars of enslavement on our backs as well on our genetic code. Yeah. And I would think legally that gives us a much stronger argument for reparations. I know a lot of times we talk about, we talk about, you know, what did you say, sir? I said that's exactly right. You know, uh, one of the contentions was that we were too far removed from the injury, but we were the injury. In our DNA, you know, we never left the injury. Right. So it it definitely counted the judge's contention from that 2005 lawsuit. We, and COBRA's Legal Strategies Commission is, is looking into how to bring a new uh, lawsuit together um, on, you know, this particular science as well as some of the other things that we've uncovered uh, uh, that, um, for instance, the uh, crimes against humanity have no statute of limitations. So, right, right. Mm-hmm. Those, these are other legal 
precedents that have been established over the last 20 years that, since the, mm-hmm. since the uh, uh, judge's ruling that gives us a case, legal case, to, to bring forth. And so uh, we're certainly looking into that. All right, all right. So you've been listening to Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations on Black Talk Radio Network. We're thankful for our engineer and producer, Brother Scotty Reed, and your host, myself, Brother Jamal Casey Tayo. You can always find out more about Encobra on our website. That uh, interactive map that Tim spoke about is on our website at encobraonline.org. That's N-C-O-B-R-A, encobraonline.org. You can also uh, reach me for show ideas at, at reparationj, reparationj at gmail.com or 678 Four three seven seven eight eight two. Again, that's six seven eight four three seven seven eight eight two. Conversation reparations. Get